Hey folks, Brian here. Before we get started, I just want to ask those who are listening who have not done so to please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. And to those who have already done so, thank you very much, and please tell a friend. Now then, on with the show. This is episode number 23 of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. Uh, let's see, I haven't been doing too much in the realm of gaming aside what I've been doing. Been playing Nova Drift, been playing Battletech uh, when I can. Um, I think I went to Pinball Pete's about two weeks ago. Uh, just had to kind of decompress, so went with about $3 and quarters and you know, made a day of it, so, um, if my finances work out, uh, this coming weekend, I may be taking, oh, that's right, I forgot, geez, how can I be so ignorant, um, with the coronavirus going on, um, I was going to take my, uh, godson up to the arcade in Brighton, but I think we're gonna hold off for a couple of weeks until this whole thing dies down, um, Normally, I wouldn't be too concerned, but that place is very close quarters, and my godson has a repressed uh, immune system. He gets sick very easily, and it would be a major health risk to him to go to a place like that, even though there aren't a lot of people in the place, Um, but it can be uh, at least a couple of dozen And I really don't want to take the risk. (laughs) If I got him sick and he ends up in the hospital, how could I ever look his mother in the face? You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. So, I'm going to probably wait a little while until this whole thing dies down. And then uh, we'll just reevaluate and see where we go from there. Uh, Let's see. What else is going on? Um, Not too much else aside from that. Um, With the whole thing with the coronavirus going on um i see less people on the roads i see a whole lot less merchandise for sale in supermarkets people have lost their minds uh there's not a shred of toilet paper to be purchased in the place places i've been um no uh milk no eggs no um uh fresh fruit or anything like that It's crazy. I don't know what people are thinking when they're doing this, but people tend to do ridiculous things when they're scared, that's for sure. Um, I'm hoping within the next month or two, this kind of sort of, you know, 
resolves itself and life can get back to normal. So, you know, uh, if that's the case, well, I'm going to be, of course, going out and checking out various arcades and reporting back to you guys. So stay tuned as always. Uh, it just may be a little while until things get back to normal. Um, I did a check of my email account. Uh, nothing there. I did a quick check of the voicemails. Uh, nothing there either. Uh, so if you are curious about uh, this podcast, if you have any thoughts, um, ideas, suggestions, video games you would like me to cover, things of that nature, uh, you can get a hold of me at Arcade Addict Brian, that's all one word, at gmail.com. And there's also a voicemail line for the show. The number to that line is 734-743-2433. Also, social media is up and running as we speak. On Facebook, just make a search for Confessions of an Arcade Addict. It'll take you right to the page. And there is also a uh, group page for discussions and so forth. I attach that to the main page. Uh, let's see. On uh, Instagram, it is Arcade Addict Brian. On Twitter, it is Arcade Addict underscore B. And Tumblr.com is Tumblr.com slash blog slash Confessions of an Arcade Addict. So there are various ways to get a hold of the show. If you're so inclined, don't be shy. So if that's the case and nothing else is going on, so let's get on with the show. Let's get to the arcade rundown. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. Your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it, is to make Stefan believe Thompson's information. As always, should you or any of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This state will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Arcade Rundown. The Arcade in Brighton, Michigan. Okay, um, just to catch you up to speed as to when I discovered this place, uh, the year is 2014. Um, let's see, aside from Pinball Pete's, I have not seen or been to an arcade since I moved to the Ann Arbor area. Um, there have been various places with game rooms, bowling alleys, and things of that nature, but nothing even close to a full-blown arcade, aside from Pinball Pete's. And Pinball Pete's is decent enough, but their steady increase in ticket games over the years didn't really make me want to go there a whole lot. I mean, they have plenty of old-school games, but they used to have more, and I was more inclined to go there. But once they really started making a push towards uh, ticket games, and I understand why. I've talked about it in the various episodes up to this day, so I don't need to go into it. I understand why, but it just isn't for me. Um, Ticket games are expensive, I don't think you're getting quite the return on the quote-unquote investment that you're making. (laughs) I took my son to Pinball Pete's and actually played ticket games with him, uh, and I spent a good $10 to $15, and all that bought me with the tickets that I got was a couple of uh, small plastic toys for him. So yeah, I really am not a big fan of ticket games, if you haven't noticed. Um... 
Uh, usually I'll go to Pinball Pete's when I was getting my car serviced and I didn't feel like hanging out at the garage or if I wanted to decompress after a long day at work and also working my side hustle at the same day. Um, one of the previous jobs I had was working as a driver for a steel treatment company and at this time I was working for them uh, part-time only. Uh, the route that I would drive would take me from the plant in South Lyon, Michigan, all the way out to Lansing and in that area and back again. Um, I'd always wanted to check out the Pinball Pete's in Lansing, but I never had the time to do so because I was usually in the Lansing area before the place opened. Um, one day I just decided to uh, get off the highway. I was heading back to the uh, shop. And I decided to get off at the Grand River uh, Avenue exit, because usually I'll stop there and get something to eat before I go back to the shop and uh, clock out for the day. Um, so I decided to take Grand River uh, back to the shop, and I was glad that I did. Um, while heading eastbound on uh, Grand River Avenue, I come around a bend in the road, and I see a sign uh, that says, The Arcade. <laughs> and... That immediately got my attention. Um, I get a little closer and I see there's a, a small building set back from the road at a parking lot. So, of course, I pulled over immediately, pulled into the parking lot and went to check it out. Um, the place was closed. I'm trying to remember what day it was. I think it was a Tuesday. But the place was closed and I looked and I saw the signs showing... Uh, the sign on the door showing the uh, hours of operation. They're only open on the weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, I looked at the windows, and the place was completely dark on the inside, but considering it was like, what, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I could see inside. And I could see, and what I saw, I was really encouraged by. Um, it was, f the whole floor area was filled with classic arcade games. Um, that, of course got the 12-year-old inside me, got his interest almost immediately. Um, so I got back in my van and headed back to the shop, but I resolved to go to this place as soon as I could, and a few weeks later I did. Um, it was a Friday after a long day at work, and I had to attend a benefits meeting for uh, my job. Um, I didn't leave until close to 6 p.m., um, the good thing is, is that I just gotten paid the day before, so I said, why not? I have some time, uh, the bills are paid or almost completely paid, so I said, yeah, let me go over there, see what, see what it's really about. Um, so I went there, I got $20 out of the ATM from the convenience store next door, uh, got 120 tokens from them, and started playing games. Um, as I said, when I did, uh... A uh, overall rundown of the arcades in Michigan. Uh, this place had potential leaking, leaking from every pore of this place. Um, there were machines everywhere, although only about 60% of them were either, um, I'd say, excuse me, 60% of them were either out of order or in various states of assemblage or disrepair. Um, all of the games that were working were two tokens to play. And the uh, late model uh, pinball machines were four tokens. Um, I think they had just moved in uh, when I saw them a little while, you know, the couple of weeks ago. Um, and I think they were in the process of getting the place set up. 
but I think they got the machines that were working plugged in and ready to go so people could come in and play the games and they could get a little business going. Um, but that being said, it was still a little frustrating to see um, machines that were in shrink wrap or that weren't fully assembled that couldn't play yet. Um, with that in mind, after uh, I played some games and I had to go home because it was what, by the time I left, I think it was after 8 o'clock, so I had to get home and, you know, take care of business. Um, after When I got home that night, I decided to write a review on the place on Yelp. Um, and I think I was fair in both my praise and critique of the place. I honestly do. I gave them three stars at the time. Uh, Smash Cut almost three years later, um, when I actually had time to go there uh, when I wasn't working. Um, my main job and my side hustles were taking most of my time and I, it was also a financial issue as well. Um, I still had a whole bunch of tokens from the place so I said hey let's go over there after work why not. Um, so after work I got in my car oh actually I wasn't working that day I just came I went up there straight from home. Uh, I went up there uh, when I got there and walked in the door um, I had found out that they had switched from the tokens that they were using to the uh, flat fee free play option, which was a big step in the right direction as far as I was concerned. Uh, for those who don't know, that means that all of the machines are set on free play. All you do is pay a flat fee when you walk in the place. Um, at this place, they give you a wristband to let them know that you are a paid customer and you can actually leave go get something to eat or go do something and come back and you know uh you get your money's worth you really do um let's see uh when i was playing the games they had a lot more working machines um and but the problem was is that i was flat broke <laughs> um i had just paid all my bills and i didn't have a lot of money left and definitely no money to do this um i think i went there on a friday um, I basically gave them their tokens back because I had no use for them. Um, and I asked them, I asked them if I could just do a walkthrough of the place. And they said, sure, just don't play any games. I said, no problem. And um, I walked through the whole arcade, the downstairs main area, and the upstairs main, uh, area, and I was amazed. Um, they had machines up and running that I had not seen literally in decades. Um, the 12-year-old boy in me was jumping up and down and rubbing its hands together in anticipation. And uh, the following week, I went and paid $15 for admittance. That was a Saturday, I think. Yeah, it was Saturday. Um, five hours and two sore elbows later, I knew this place was well on the way to being the best arcade in the state of Michigan. Um, I updated my review in Yelp and I increased the, the three stars I gave them to four. Um, since then, we're talking when I went there the second time, I think it was like December 20, 2016, I think, 2016 or 2017, somewhere in there. Um, ever since then, I've been there multiple times. I go there as often as I can and they've gotten better. There was one time where I, they were in the middle of getting all of their machines on the second floor down to the first floor, and they were trying to figure out what machines to keep. 
Um, it, it's I, I love this place. It's one of the best arcades I've ever been to, and I've been to more than a few, not just in the United States, but also Canada. And the only thing that that place needs now is a bigger space. <laughs> because when you go in there on a... Uh, you know, uh, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, and they're doing pretty good business on all three days. Um, they usually will... It's really kind of hard to kind of get through the place because now they have games, you know, and there's a, you know, a place to walk through between the machines, but it's really narrow. If there are two people on opposite ends, on the opposite sides of each other playing the games, you know, it's really hard to navigate. You kind of got to tap somebody on the shoulder and say excuse me so you can kind of walk through without you know brushing you know brushing up against them um the place yeah they definitely need a bigger space now that's the only thing holding them back they could probably even do more better business once they get a new once they get a bigger spot um I've, i hope for their continued success i'm a constant patron of the place and I hope as long as they keep moving in the right direction, they'll obtain that success without a doubt. Um, so yeah, that's my rundown for the arcade in Brighton. Um, if you live in the uh, Ann Arbor, Detroit, uh, Brighton area and you go to the pl this place, let me know what you think of it. I would like to know your thoughts. Uh, ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com Okay, from there... Let's move on to Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Oh, baby, I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Lying red arse to my heather chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe we're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. We're, We're not, not too old, old for this shit. We're not, We're not too, too old for this shit. like you believe. We're, We're not too old for this shit. Yeah. We're not too old for I'm this shit. I'm not gonna buy a hemorrhoid cushion. We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced? Star Trek Strategic Operations Simulator. Oh, man. This is, this is one of my all-time favorite games by Sega. Um, of course, as you will probably hear in my uh, on-the-road segment that I've already recorded, um you will know that I'm a Star Trek head and I've been that way since I was like four years old. Um, I still watch the Star Trek episodes to this day. Um, I watch the movies whenever they're, you know, on the uh, cable channels, the movie cable channels. Um, I will put them on my DVR, watch them a couple of times before I delete them, you know, but that's just how it is. Um, as we speak right now, on Heroes and Icons channel, that's channel 166 here in Ann Arbor. Um, the Heroes and Icons channel is showing uh, Star Trek Enterprise. They do this wonderful thing where uh, five or excuse me, six nights a week, they show all the Star Trek series in order. Um, that's of course the classic Star Trek, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise, and they just keep playing them. You know, and they've been doing this for several years, and it's really awesome. You know, it's one of the best things going on TV, in my opinion. Um, but, yeah, getting back to this game, um, this game came out in... They, the Wikipedia says 1983, but I think it was actually 82. I think it was like late 82 when it came out, because 
it was 1982 when Trommelmall Arcade got this game. But speaking of Wikipedia, let's go and read some information from it. Okay. Star Trek Strategic Operations Simulator is a space combat simulation arcade game based on the original Star Trek television program and movie series and released by Sega in 1983. It is a vector game with both a two-dimensional display and a three-dimensional first-person perspective. The player controls the Starship Enterprise and must defend sectors against uh, invading Klingon ships. The game was presented in two styles of cabinets, an upright stand-up and a sit-down semi-closed deluxe cabinet with the player's chair modeled after the Star Trek The Motion Pictures bridge chairs with controls integrated into the chair's arms. Side note, I would love to actually see one of those machines and actually play it. Um, but yeah, it was... It, the, just the uh, stand-up machine was pretty cool. Um, I'm looking at the picture in Wikipedia of the upright, cap, upright cabinet, and yeah, it was pretty awesome. Uh, let's see. Uh, Star Trek was ported to the Commodore 64, the TI-99... Atari 8-Bit Family, Atari 5200, Atari 2600, VIC-20, ColecoVision, and Apple II. And on a side note to that, the uh, Atari 2600 version, it was excellent. It's one of the best arcade translations they ever did for the 2600. I know, because I bought that game. <laughs> uh, let's see. Going on to the gameplay. The game makes use of painstakingly synthesized speech since memory costs at the time made the use of sampled audio almost prohibitive. Uh, unlike most arcade games of the time, the player is presented with multiple view views of the playfield. Throughout the game, survival depends on the player's ability to effectively use and manage shield energy, photon torpedoes, and warp energy. These are replenished by docking with star bases, which sometimes must be saved from destruction at the hands of the Klingons. The control system for Star Trek employed the use of, of a weighted spinner for ship heading control, while a series of buttons allowed the player to activate the impulse engines, warp engines, phasers, and photon torpedoes. The phaser button was simply marked fire. The warp button was deliberately placed farther away from the rest of the buttons in order to force the player to reach for them in the heat of battle. <laughs> That's actually a pretty, pretty interesting thing. Uh, the sit-down version of the game had a convenient location of the warp button at the right-hand thumb. Uh, let's see. Electronic Games stated in August 1983 that Star Trek is sure to be a top grocer in the arcades this year. If you can squeeze through the crowd around the machine, you may never want to leave. Analog Computing wrote in January 1984 that the Atari 8-bit version sounds a lot like Star Raiders, a classic worth aspiring to. Purists will shake their heads and say the first is always the best, and in this case I must agree with them, adding that the arcade version was superior. The magazine concluded that this incarnation of Star Trek probably won't impress a hardcore Atari computer gamer. <laughs> probably not, because I knew a couple of those guys, and yeah, they were not easy to impress. Uh, let's see. My experiences with the game. Uh, when this game came to the Trommel Mall Arcade, I could not have been happier. It's true. <laughs> uh, it was several months after the theatrical release of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. I'd already seen it several times at my local neighborhood theater, so it was fresh in my mind. I honestly think this is one of the best vector games of all time, and Sega had put out some great ones like Space Fury and Taxcan. 
Uh, from the moment you hit start and you hear Spock's digitized voice welcoming you aboard, the game is an experience. From hunting down Klingon battlecruisers to saving your star bases and saving yourself by docking with them, to Scotty's voice telling you the damage was repaired, to the showdown with Nomad, the game was an instant classic as far as I was concerned. And I still feel that way today. Um, yeah, I mean, I still play this game uh, in emulation, and it's still as much of a challenge uh, now as it was back in the early 1980s. So those are my thoughts on it. And let's once again pivot right into time for some strategy. Okay, time for some strategy. Um, these are, of course, my uh, notes on the game experience, the scoring, and also um, tips and tricks on how to get good at it. So here we go. Uh, the game starts out easily enough. It's just you as a Starship Enterprise, a star base, and two Klingon battlecruisers. One will move towards the star base and attack it, while the other one shoots at you. Uh, in my experience, there are two ways to play this game. You can either go for points by not docking with star bases until you absolutely have to, or you can go for the long play by docking with them every chance you get, building up your shields, photon torpedoes, and warp drive. There is no real right or wrong way to play this game, although I usually try to go for points in later sectors by docking at one star base and leaving one alone. The further along in this game you do this, the more bonus points you can gain, but you put yourself at significant risk, especially once you start in sectors 3 and 4 when things really start to get crazy. Uh, the point breakdown is 25 points per Klingon, cruiser, or per Klingon cruiser times the number of rounds you are on. The star bases are 1,000 points times the number of rounds you're on for undocked star bases and 250 points times the number of rounds for star bases you have docked at. So the upshot of that is is that the number of star bases you leave undocked, um, that can really add to your score later in the game because the, multipl the multiplication of it keeps going up and up and up and up. And it gets really, really crazy in the later sectors from like sector 3 and on. I always go for the Klingons who are attacking the star bases first, and depending on what kind of playstyle I'm going for, I either dock at it or I swing around and blast the purple, uh, the purple label cruisers trying to destroy you. Um, use warp drive if you have to in order to save the star bases, because in later sectors Klingons are firing photons out like crazy, and if you're trying to save star bases, you need to get them as soon as possible. Because in later sectors, star bases won't last for more than 10 seconds. Um, there's a saucer that um, comes out on random uh, random uh, sectors. Um, the saucer moves perpendicular to the way the Enterprise moves, in that if you try to fly towards it, it will fly away from you. If you fly away from it, it'll fly towards you, and that's a good thing. Um, if you want to nail that saucer for 5,000 points, you have to turn your back to the saucer and fly away from it, which means it will approach you faster than your ship at full impulse. 
Stop when it gets close to touching you, swing around, and blast it with your phasers. If it touches you, it will drain your warp energy, so don't let that happen, because in later sectors you're going to need your warp drive. Um, let's see, I think you go through uh, five subsectors. So if you're in sector one, it's 1 1.1, 1.2, 1 1.3, 1 1.4, 1 1.5. Then in 1.6, you go up against Nomad. Um, if you know the uh, Star Trek episode, The Changeling, which ironically enough was on tonight. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny, actually. I just thought of that because, yeah, I just was watching it. And then all of a sudden I decide, hey, I'm going to record an episode. And here we are, you know, kismet that kind of thing, you know, serendipity, whatever word you want to use. Um, but getting back to it, he's tough. There's no way around it. Um, you have to hunt him down because it seems he moves at random, and while he moves at random, he's uh, dropping mines as he goes. Um, those mines have the effect, the effect of a photon torpedo in the game, which means uh, when you get close to those... Uh, mines or you shoot them with your phasers they explode and uh the explosion radiates outward and if it hits your ship it will drain your shields um the thing is is that destroying one mine can actually destroy other mines if the uh mine is in the explosion radius and that can set off other mines and yeah it can get to be a mess um the best option is to go straight at him and blast him with your phasers for thirty thousand points uh, also note, he's immune to your photon torpedoes. Uh, once you've de defeated Nomad, it's on to Sector 2, uh, where the Klingons move and shoot faster. And if you uh, waste time while completing a sector, the remaining Klingons will turn white and engage their warp drives in an attempt to ram you. Um, I think the furthest I have gotten in this game is Sector 5, and my score was up over 300,000 points. I can't remember exactly because um, it was back, of course, back in 1982 and 83. Um, while doing a little search on the internet, I did find a uh, strategy, strategy guide um, for Star Trek, the Star Trek arcade game, and I'll post a link to it in the show notes. Um, like I said, this game is one of the best games of 1982-83 um, it was in my top tens when I covered that year, and yeah, I mean, I love this game, and like I said, I still play it to this day. I wish the arcade in Brighton had one. I know Start um, Galloping Ghost in uh, Brookfield, Illinois has one, because like I said in episode 22, they've got 757 machines in that arcade, so what don't they have? You know what I'm saying? Uh, but anyway... If you have any uh, thoughts, tips, and tricks of your own, uh, you know what to do. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com. And finally, we are going to go on the road. So stay tuned, buckle up, here we go.
started when I was about, oh goodness, I would say probably like four years old. This is like one of the earliest memories I have. Um, I just remember it was 1973. It may have it even been 74. It, my memory's a little fuzzy, but it's one of the memories I have. I just remember just sitting in front of the TV one day, and, you know, it was like, oh, goodness, it was like, oh, I'd say probably it was wintertime because it was dark outside, and it was only like 7 o'clock, 6, 7 o'clock. Um, I was home, well, of course I was, because I was, you know, I just had, just had gotten out of the toddler stage. I'm a child. <laughs> um, I was with, my, I mean, my grandmother I was watching me, and she basically, you know, while she made dinner, she just plopped me down in front of the TV and turned it on, and I would watch. And I just remember seeing a television series like Lost in Space and things of that nature, but I remember when I was about five years old, between four and five, somewhere in there, but this is one of my earliest memories, is that I remember watching Star Trek, and I hate to say it like this, but yeah, I was fascinated, <laughs> fascinating, um, and from that point forward, that sort of changed my outlook on things, even though I was like a four-year-old kid, you know, I was like, Captain Kirk is really cool, Mr. Spock is awesome, <laughs> you know, that, that was how I felt about it, and I was always into Star Trek, um, I mean, the only thing that took, that captured my fancy more back in the day was when Star Wars came out in 1977, and, you know, at that point, I'm eight years old. Um, but throughout my life, I've always loved Star Trek. And I always loved the struggle of humanity and, you know, finding its place in the galaxy and having to deal with uh, their own, you know, trying to, you know, they say they overcame their shortcomings, but you know, they really didn't. Um, they were still struggling to overcome their, their humanity struggling to overcome its shortcomings as a species, you know, and there were several episodes throughout the two, or excuse me, the three season run of Star Trek that dealt with that directly, whether it was racism, whether it was, you know, xenophobia, you know, all the thing, all the dark things that humanity is capable of, you know, Star Trek took a look at and, you know, tried to address. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've always had a major fascination with Star Trek, you know, going back to when I was a little kid. It even predates Star Wars by about four, three to four years. Um... Okay, smash cut to, oh, I'd say probably 1979, 
1980, somewhere in there. I'm like 10, 11 years old. Um, at this point, you know, I'm hanging out at the mall a lot, as much as I could anyway. I mean, especially during the summer, I was there a lot when I was a kid. Um, and when I wasn't in the arcade playing games, you know, I was walking the mall, you know, I was going to the department stores and checking out the toys and checking out the electronic games that they had. And, you know, um, I would go to, you know, the department stores. I go to, um, I can't remember what the toy store was before it was KB. I've forgotten the name of it, but, um, there was always a toy store in that mall. Um, KB took it over, I want to say in like 1981, maybe even 80, no, not 82, it was, it was 81, it was 80 or 81, somewhere in there. Um, but that toy store figured heavily into how I spent my time when I wasn't in the mall, when I wasn't in the arcade, because I was always there, you know, checking out what they had, you know, seeing if I could try to wheedle uh, my mother into buying me something that I really was really was interested in um, and they always had Star Trek toys uh, this toy store had like um, Matchbox and Corgi die cast cars um, like the more expensive ones in a glass case I remember that and I remember another thing they had they had these die cast Star Trek toys they had the Enterprise, they had the um, Klingon D7 Battlecruiser, they had the, um, oh, um, the Romulan Bird of Prey and stuff like that. And then they also had like um, toys, not toys, um, yeah, toys from other television series that weren't quite as well known, like say like Red Dwarf and stuff like that. Um, but... One of the things I used to do was go to, like, uh, Radio Shack, which was on the same level of the mall as the arcade was. I mean, it was just to the south of the erstwhile food court. I couldn't call it a food court because they didn't have a lot of restaurants back then. They had an Orange Julius. They had the Italian restaurant, which I talked about. They had the... Um, chocolate chip cookie company and every time I think of that place I can just taste those Toll House chocolate chip cookies oh my god they were so good but man were they expensive I mean we're talking like what was it five dollars a pound which was a lot to a ten year old kid that's a lot of money you know because <laughs> I remember when my mother used to give me allowance um you know, at the, you know, when I first started getting an allowance, I would get like $5. And then I was able to negotiate that to 10. Then I negotiated again to 20 when I was older. I think, I think I was like 13 when I got that, when I was able to, uh, manage that one. Um, but anyway, so I used to go to Radio Shack a lot. And of course they had their TS, TRS-80 computers there. And they had some electronic games and things like that. And I remember one day I walked in there and they had a Star Trek game. I think, I can't remember what they called it, 
they called it like Space Trek or something like that. They couldn't use Star Trek because that was copyrighted, of course. But I remember going in there and um, I think I remember one time I one day I went in there and th that was on the uh, computer and I would and I asked the sale one of the sales guys, how do you play this? And he said, okay, you do this to move the Enterprise around. You do this to uh, fire phasers. You do this to fire photon torpedoes. Um, and, this, and, this, and you manage shields this way. And I remember every so often, every so often I'd go in there and I'd play that. And, you know, I got pretty decent at it. And then... Um, oh goodness, what year was it when that place opened? I think it was 80. Yeah, I think it was 1980. It's either 79 or 80. There was uh, a CompuColor uh, store in my neighborhood, like a couple of, you know, a couple of blocks up, um, uh, up Main Street. Yeah, but it was like literally like four, three blocks away from where I lived. Um, okay, I'm at a stop, so pause. Okay, I'm back. So, yeah, this little uh, copy-color store opened up in my neighborhood. And, I mean, I'd always had a fascination with computers, um, even though I, my experience with them at 1979 at the age of 10 was very limited, of course. Um... I mean, I remember I used to hang out in that copy color store all the time. The manager, Ralph, kind of, I won't, you know, it, he, I guess he took a shine to me. I, I guess he, I guess he liked me because he let me hang out in that store all the time. And I remember the, uh, the receptionist whose name I cannot remember for the life of me. You know, my memory saying her name was Betty, but I know that's not right. Um, she was this beautiful, beautiful woman. And of course, you know, I'm, I was, you know, I was just smitten with her. She was, oh, she was nice. She was always nice. Yeah, I can't remember her name for the life of me, but she was always nice to me. She let me hang out in there for hours at a time. Um, and I basically learned how to operate their computers. You know, but it was just more or less to play games, of course. And one of the games they had was a Star Trek game. It was pretty much the same uh, premise as the, um, as the TRS-80 Star Trek game. Pretty much the same exact game, just... Uh, in color um i remember they used like this combination of a um oh goodness i can't remember what the parentheses it's like the parentheses but it's a it's basically 45 angles 45 degree angles rather than um what's the name Ugh, i can't remember for the life of me but anyway um you know, so basically it used icons for the ships, and those were different colors. I mean, basically you went up against Klingons, and, you know, you 
you basically had to deal with the damage they were dealing you the damage they would deal the enterprise was relative to the uh distance they were from your distance from the enterprise they were up close they were gonna they were really gonna whop you one but you know if they were like on the opposite end of the sector you know they would not do that much damage at all and you had to learn how to allocate your shields to you know repair the damage and um you know use your phasers use your you know use your photons repeaters and so forth um so star trek is a game has been part of my part of my childhood as well so in 1982 smash cut uh going fast forwarding like two years um so i walk in the arcade one day in trouble mall and there's the star trek strategic operations Stim simulator and i'm like this is a cool freaking game i mean it it's almost the perfect representation of star of star trek in arcade form yeah so i have text message anyway um yeah i mean i've it goes back and just thinking about this you know even further um my experience with star trek games goes back let's see i, I already talked about uh the copy color computer game and the similar uh game for the trs80 computer um but also i remember uh space war that was my first a real Star Trek style game experience now that I think about it because basically you had you know representations of the Starship Enterprise and a Klingon D7 battlecruiser that you would start off on opposite sides of the screen and of course you could always uh, change the quote unquote rules of the game and you know like put a sun in the middle of the screen so that your ships actually get slowly drawn in by the sun's gravity you have a black hole which not only draws you your ship in because of its gravity but also because of its uh because of the its, its gravity level so high it will actually alter your shots that you take at your opposition um, and there were other, uh, other, um, options to, you know, change the experience of the game. I mean, I remember, I, it was always a two-player game. It never was a one-player game. It was on a timer. Um, my earliest memory of this game was I actually got my brother to play me in it. Um, of course, that goes... New text message. Of course, that goes back to um, that goes back to uh, my earliest video gaming memories back in like 1975, when my brother and I were with my mother uh, going to a family reunion in somewhere in Maryland, if I'm not mistaken. 
I don't think it might have been Washington DC, but I can't remember 100%. But it was in that in that area, in that region. And the hotel that we were staying at, they had a tank game and a pong game in the lobby. And my brother and I used to play each other at it. My brother used to beat the ever-loving hell out of me because he was just older. He's five years older than me. If we're talking 1975, I'm, what, uh, six years old going on seven. My brother is uh, 10 years old going on 11. So, yeah. Because um, it was June, and my brother's birthday hadn't come yet, and mine, of course, is in December. You know, speaking of that, my birthday just literally passed 24 hours ago. But anyhow, um, I'm at a stop, so let me pause this. I will be right back. Okay, I'm back. So, um, so yeah, I mean, smash cut to going to the Midway with my brother. Let's see. I think my cousin Kathy was literally like two years old I think the first time we went I think my cousin Kathy was born in she's nine years younger than me so I just turned 51 she just turned 42 so if we cut back to when she was two that's 40 years ago so yeah that's 1979 so yeah, she was born in 77. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, so yeah, my cousin Kathy, that's how I know because every time I think of the Midway, I think of this one picture my aunt took of myself, my cousin Kathy, and me. Um, my brother was holding my cousin Kathy, and I was standing like in front of my brother, like slightly to the right or something like that you know, smiling into the camera as the picture's taken. Um, let's see, if it's 1979, that makes me 10 years old. My brother is 15, um, or 14, about to turn 15, and my cousin Kathy's two years old. So, um, so yeah, my first, just, just using that process of elimination, my first experience with the Midway is 1979. I thought it was, or I thought it was later, I thought it was 80, but I think it was 79. I, I think that's, I think I've got the math right, finally. Like I said, as you get older, folks, your memory gets fuzzy and hazy, and things that you think happened at this time actually happened at that time, and so on and so forth. You know, it's, it's not fun. Getting older is not fun once you get past, I want to say, 40. But anyway, I digress. So that's my first experience with Space War, which was more or less Star Trek. Um, of course, I've already spoken about um, Star Trek Strategic Operations Simulator earlier in the show. Um... That's another game. Another game that I remember, which was a Star Trek game, was a game by SSI called The Cosmic Balance. Uh, my first experience with that was with my friend Dave, uh, who had it for his uh, Apple IIe. 
and you know it was this wonderful little space battle simulator uh it, it had come out in 1982 or 80 it's 82 or 83 but it was after star trek the two the wrath of khan had come out which i think came out in like the summer of 82 so I would say this game came out either like in the winter of 82 or like early winter of 83. Um, and it's more or less like the classic Star Trek games, except when you put in, you know, you uh, put in your um, orders to turn your ship, you know, you could do that and, you know, you would put in orders to increase your ship's thrust, to increase the speed. Um, you had various types of phasers and photon torpedoes. You had three types of phasers, light phasers, heavy phasers, and siege phasers. Each one of those uh, do more damage than the last. You had photon torpedoes, of course. You had plasma torpedoes as well. Um, you had, um, uh, you could actually, uh, use, uh, groups of fighters if your ship was large enough, because you had five different classes of ship. I can't remember the names of it, but they were arranged in, you know, order of one to five. Five was the Dreadnought, which of course had the most space, but it wasn't very, it wasn't very fast. Um, it, you could have the most weapons, but it wouldn't move very much. And of course, um, you have the most armor and you, know, you could have like, um, smart missiles. I, that's not the, what they were called, but, uh, basically they were guided. They were, you know, they were intelligent, uh, they were intelligent, uh, missiles of, of, of projectiles that would follow your ship around and, they would impact you, you know, they would do damage to you. Of course, the longer they're out and around, the less damage they did. Uh, same thing with the plasma torpedoes, you know, a la uh, the Romulan Birds of Prey, like in the Star Trek episode, Balance of Terror. You know, they have a range limit. So if you could stay, if you could just get away from them and not take the shot head on, they wouldn't do as much damage to your shields. Um, so you could have up to four ships per side. And they even had combat scenarios. One, of course, was the classic USS Enterprise versus the USS Reliant, you know, straight out of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And they had um, the, you know, they had the Enterprise... Um, with its complement of weapons, and of course the USS Reliant with its complement of weapons, and you could battle it out to see if you actually could defeat the Reliant or defeat the Enterprise. Um, let's see, uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, and basically you were trying to batter down your opponent's shields and inflict damage on their hull. You had um, electronic countermeasures. You had electronic counter countermeasures. It was like this really cool strategic game. And for the longest time, uh, myself, uh, Dave, my best friend Robert, my buddy Edgar, we would all go over um, Dave's house sometimes, and you know we just get together and you know over there and we play music and. Uh, 
Dave's mom, bless her heart, would, you know, make us food and, you know, drinks and so forth, you know, and every once in a while I would, you know, talk to uh, Dave's grandfather, who was a nice guy. Um, yeah, really good family, you know, Dave, you know, Dave's family was, you know, it was really cool. Um, but yeah, we would go, we would gather in Dave's room and we would just have these, you know, uh, massive game playing sessions. We play Cosmic Balance. We play um, Montezuma's Revenge, I think it was, which was a really hard game. Um, they would play uh, like the first uh, version of Castle Wolfenstein, which was interesting, you know, and stuff like that. So um, that was another thing we used to do. We used to like um, each one of us would create a ship. That was the other thing that was great about the Cosmic Balance. You could build your ships. You build them. You know, you could do like these like really lightweight, really lightweight uh, ships that you know moved really fast and maneuvered really fast, but wouldn't have much in the way of uh, armor or weapons or shields. You know, they relied on speed to get them through. Um, you know, and, you know, you would have these custom scenarios. There were a whole bunch of them. I just can't remember them all. I think they had, like, seven different game scenarios. I do have Cosmic Balance for the Commodore 64, my Commodore 64, and for emulation. Um, I got into it for about a year, then I sort of got away from, uh, C64 emulation for whatever reason. Um, but anyway... That, that was a wonderful game. Um, let's see. Of course, um, there were a couple of Star Trek games that were out for the PlayStation 2, which I own. Uh, one's called um, Shattered Universe, which is really interesting. And the other one was Star Trek Encounters, which is probably one of my favorite Star Trek games. Um... If I had to make a, a top 10 list, I would probably be in the top five or top three. Um, moving further along, I didn't see another Star Trek game until I actually got into Star Trek Online in 2015. And I shudder to think how much money I spent on that game because, um, yeah, it was an ungodly amount because I didn't have the patience to grind for certain things or to grind for enough currency to buy certain ships and you know that's of course how they get you because you can grind for them but you know it's te you know sometimes tedious work and it gets to be a little aggravating sometimes and just if sometimes I would just throw like I just buy like 2500 of the uh uh, energy credits, I think that's what they are. Or are they EC? No, they no. It's a different kind of uh, different kind of currency. Energy, energy credits were something that you would get through um, uh, completing missions, destroying enemy ships, and um, selling items that you get. Uh, I can't remember what the other currency is for the life of me, but you know it's not important. But that is another one. Um, I mean, I have always loved Star Trek, like I said, since I was a little kid. I mean, the original series, Star Trek Next Generation when it came out in 87, 
uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine when that came out in 1993, I think. Star Trek Voyager when that came out in 1996. It's either 95 or 96. Um, then, of course, uh, Enterprise when that came out in 1999, I believe. It's 99 or 2000. Um, you know, and of course, the classic uh, films, I could talk about those forever. Um, you know, and, you know, to a limited extent, the J.J. Abrams universe. I mean, I think they were kind of onto something when they did the first movie, but as always in modern day Hollywood, just too many people get into that and they hire the wrong people for it. And so, and just so on and so forth. Um, I mean, I've always been a Star Trek fan since I was a child. I'm still a Star Trek fan now. Um, shout out to um, the Axanar crew as much as uh, CBS doesn't want you to watch it. I recommend it. Go to YouTube and just type in Axanar. And that's A-X-A-N-A-R, as in the Axanar Palm of Bravery. One of the medals Captain Kirk was awarded. Um, but uh, they are, it is a wonderful, wonderful uh, fan, fan uh, movie. And they, they are just... Uh, they're shooting now. They wrapped up the first part. They're shooting. They're going to start shooting the second part, I think, after the holidays. Then they're going to put it out. Uh, CBS tried to stop them, but uh, and they're still trying to stop them to this day because, quite honestly, um, if you don't watch Axanar itself, watch um, The Four Years' War Prelude to Axanar, you know, part three. Um, that is a trailer for the actual um, episode they're shooting now. They did that. They did that fan fiction, I think, back in 2012. And that is more Star Trek than anything that has been put out since uh, the first Star Trek. I mean, the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie. Um, I mean, I would argue that somewhat you know the first the first JJ Abrams Star Trek movie will get a pass from me because they actually uh, through doing the origin story about how that all that that universe's Captain Kirk came to be and came to be um, you know captain of the Enterprise you know I like how the fact that he and Spock were adversaries to begin with and then they just sort of learned to bury their hostility towards each other and then they actually became friends which was interesting um but anyway um so yeah I mean there are other Star Trek games out there but unless my memory is failing me which happens more and more frequently as time goes on but I think I've covered almost all of them um I mean, Star Trek, from a video game standpoint, there are so many great games that if they're not officially licensed Star Trek games, like uh, Strategic Operations Simulator, like the games for PlayStation 2, like uh, Star Trek Online, there are those that 
capture the essence of Star Trek, even if it's just, you know, a combat game, you know, like Space War, like uh, the Star Trek games for the uh, Copy Color and TRS-80 back in the day, like um, the Star Trek game they made for the Commodore 64, whose name I cannot remember. Of course, they couldn't use it as Star Trek, but it was Star Trek. You know, they they use Klingons, they use Romulans, you know, the the everything was there. It was just they couldn't use the full nomenclature back in, like, the late 80s. I think that game came out in 88. It's either 87 or 88, I think. No, no, it, no, later than that, I think it was, like, either 88 or 89. Because it came out after I had gotten my uh, Commodore 64, so it had to be 88 or 89. Um, let's see. But yeah, I mean, there are plenty of games out there that, you know, they're made by Star Trek fans that capture the essence of Star Trek. And, you know, they're great games to play. And if you have the time, you know, I mean, I've given you the list, the rundown, if you will. You know, you can go out and find these games. You can find Space War in emulation. You find Star Trek Strategic Operations Simulator in emulation. You probably find a TR TRS-80 emulator or even a copy color emulator if you're so inclined to do so. You can find Cosmic Balance for the PC. You know, I know it's out there. Um, you can find, uh, you know, there's almost everything. I mean, Star Trek Online is probably not, not going anywhere. There's more than enough people playing it to sustain it, and there were enough people who paid the borderline exorbitant amount of money for the uh, lifetime subscription, which they still offer. I think it's like, I think it's something a little shy of like $150. I think it's $149.99 for a lifetime subscription to Star Trek Online. Um... But, I mean, yeah, Star Trek Online's been in existence for quite some time, and I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, they've adapted a lot of classic Star Trek stuff. They've adapted, they've uh, put in the new uh, Star Trek Discovery uh, characters and storylines. They get the actors from the all, you know, all Star Trek series across the board. I mean you know, to do voiceovers. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of who they've done, put for, put in for voiceovers. They had Renee Abergenois from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. They had Nana Visitor. They had uh, Alexander Siddig. Um, I think they had um, uh, the actress who played Esri Dax. I'm not sure. I don't think they got... Um, the actress who played Jadzia Dax, which is unfortunate. Of course, they got Michael Dorn as Worf. Um, they got Leonard Nimoy as Spock. And as a matter of fact, like shortly after Leonard Nimoy passed away in, was it 2016? Either 2016 or 2017 when he passed away, they immediately put a uh, monument to Leonard Nimoy in the game. You know, um... Larry Nimoy did a lot of voiceover work for Star Trek Online. Um, let's see. They got Tim Russ from Star Trek Voyager. They got um, Garrett Wong from Star Trek Voyager to do the voiceovers. 
Um, I would almost say they got uh, Robert Duncan McNeil, but I don't think they did. Uh, Robert Duncan McNeil is the guy who played Tom Paris in Star Trek Voyager. Um, let's see. Uh, for the next generation, they got, uh, I think they got Marin Asiertis to do voiceovers. Um, I think that's the only person they got from there. Of course, they got John Delancey as Q. Um, let's see. They got several actors from Discovery. Um, I not sure if they got anyone from Enterprise. I don't think they did. I'm not 100% certain they did. I mean, I'm pretty, I'm fairly certain that Scott Bakula didn't do voiceovers. Um, I'm not sure about any of the other actors or actresses who played in Enterprise. I think they might have gotten the guy who played Shran, who of course played Wayun in DS9, Jeffrey Combs, fantastic actor. One of the best character actors of all time, but especially in Star Trek. But anyway, I'm rambling and I'm trying to wrap up my route for tonight so I can go home because I've got, God only knows I've got 20,000 things to do when I get home. But anyway, so this is Brian saying, live long and prosper. Au revoir. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at Incompetech.com. You can contact the show by email at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com, or you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-743-2433. Until next time, you have been listening to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. See you then.